Yo, and welcome into week 11 of pre-gaming the SEC. Jacob Hester, Chris Doring back for another week for all of the latest and greatest in the SEC. And we've got a lot to discuss. We had a couple of marquee matchups that I feel like for the most part lived up to the hype CD. We build these games up and oftentimes, well, they let us down. One team gets the best of the other team. It's pretty quick. And you're like, okay, well, that game didn't live up to all the pregame hype, the week-long hype that we had. But we had a couple of really good ones. I think, you know, for the most part, certainly Georgia and Mizzou at least lived up to the hype. Yeah, it was uh, exactly everything that we had hoped for. It was a uh, the, the the Georgia game being a 10-10 tie at halftime, the, yeah. the Alabama-LSU game being a track meet, the back-and-forth nature of those two quarterbacks making plays. It was uh, everything we had hoped for, and it gives us hope that that's going to be the same scenario this week as well with some massive games and uh, lots that we're we're building these things up to be. Hopefully it's not a letdown. I don't think it will be. I think we are hitting the sweet spot here in the SEC slate, and we're about to have – I think we're going to have games that live up to the hype, I think we're going to have upsets. I think we're going to have a little bit of chaos. I'm not calling full chaos. In our conference or bit. nationally? Or both. I think in our conference. I, I think there's some games down the stretch that are going to be chaotic. Mm. All right. I think I we like have the it. opportunity to have that. At least maybe that's me hoping and try to project that kind of chaotic energy towards some of these games. But I think we will have some of that. And, you know, we've been waiting for this portion of the Georgia schedule and now it's here, and I thought last week was fantastic. And shout out to Missouri football. And you and I, we know Eli Drinkwitz very well. The first thing he said to us at the Senior Bowl, he didn't really want to talk about almost beating Georgia. He's like, I'm not in this for almost. And so I do understand that. Of course, last year they had him on the ropes in Como, but this year I thought was even more impressive. Now they lost the game by nine. We all know that, but they were in that game. There was points in that game where they were the aggressor they did not look overmatched now it was always going to be in my opinion not a near not a, not a perfect game but a near perfect game and then you throw the interception to the defensive lineman stackhouse and you have a couple of other options open but you're trying to make a play you're driving right to go take the lead and a play like that when you're trying to punch up sometimes that can be the death nail in your coffin but missouri did not look out of place in that game in Athens. No, they went toe-to-toe for the second year in a row with Georgia, and uh, I think that's uh, a lot to be said for where this program has evolved to in Como. I also think we'd be remiss, as, she, as Big Turp likes to say. We, we, we don't uh, – we need to talk about what Georgia does to prevent teams from being able to land one of those punch-ups that uh, they're taking. Yeah. And, and you look at uh, turnover margin, Georgia finishes plus two, gets two takeaways, doesn't turn the ball over once. Red zone execution, forcing two field goals down on three red zone trips that Missouri yep. takes. Like it, to, The recipe for how you beat Georgia and Alabama is exactly the same. It's get takeaways like Auburn did against Georgia to give themselves an opportunity. Uh, it's scoring touchdowns in the red zone, something Missouri didn't do, something Texas A&M didn't do early in the season that Tennessee didn't do against um, uh, against Alabama. And yeah. uh, you got to hit some explosive plays. Uh, Missouri hit one early with with the uh, Luther Burden touchdown. But after that, there was not a whole lot of explosive plays that they were able to take advantage of. And you need to credit Georgia for being disciplined and playing their their assignments and, and doing what it takes. It wasn't pretty, wasn't flashy, nothing, yeah. uh, nothing, the headline about it. But it was just a blue collar, grab the lunch pail, hard hat, and let's go to work and get it done. Yeah, and. I mean, Missouri, yeah, lack of explosive plays, but also 
like they had a plan. It felt like for Co- uh, Cody Schrader to kind of just lean on that Georgia defense, and we don't see that very often. And now again, Georgia won the game; they found a way. But like that outside zone that Cody Schrader was running for Mizzou, it might actually. Let's just go ahead and start. That's my hold my beer is the way that Cody Schrader played against Georgia in a loss. I know they lost the game, but to have to have the success like that on the ground against Georgia is almost impossible. We've seen some this year. Now, you know, Peyton Thorne playing the quarterback position, you get an extra blocker. That's always a little bit different. But Cody Schrader is going to be holding my beer. From where he started his college football career to where he's at now, I don't own a college football player's jersey, but if I did, it'd be Cody Schrader. Mm-hmm. The the way he was running that outside zone was coaching clinic. Talk about okay. that because you you and I discussed this uh, yeah. on on your show the other day, and and uh, the the nature of how a running back runs with the football. I think a lot of people think it's just fast, you know, get downhill, yeah. hit the hole, be physical. But yeah. you know, I've never played the position. I've been around some great ones, but you you certainly are amongst those great ones. Like what what makes a good running back successful yeah and so okay oftentimes when you see a young running back that's always been the most athletic guy like at his high school whatever like he gets into college football pro football and he tries to hit the hole like his hair is on fire right he tries to get to the line as fast as he can and i've always said this you've heard me say it a thousand times you're either born a running back or you're not You either have that skill set, you have that feel, you have that patience, or you don't. That's oftentimes why you don't see your most athletic guy at the running back position. Now, he's got to be an athlete, but not the most athletic guy because there's things that you have to have, and they have to be within you from the time that you're born. I truly believe that. And so when we go look at Cody Schrader, okay, a lot of times I'm facing a physical, fast defense in Georgia. Man, I got to get to the line as fast as I can. I've got to be the aggressor. I can't let them punch me first. I got to be the, you know, I got to be the aggressor here. I got to throw the haymakers. But that's not how you're successful. Okay. Because when I'm running outside zone, that actually is the worst thing that I can do. Okay. When I'm running outside zone, I've got to have patience and I have to have belief in myself that I can be patient and not panic. And that's what Cody Schrader did, right? It's running the outside zone, stretching, 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 putting your foot in the ground, going north south, and then you become the aggressor, Mm -hmm. right? It's it's like it's just like kind of a boxer. Like you choose when to be aggressive, when to be a counterpuncher, when to really throw those haymakers. When you're running outside zone, it looks a lot like stretch. Now, stretch, my aiming point is going to be more outside, but with outside zone, which looks like stretch, I'm aiming outside but I want to put my foot in the ground at some point and cut north and south. And that's what he was doing. And so he was patient in his running style. And then again, once he got to that second level, he was the aggressor. He was bringing the fight to the Georgia defense. And I mean, it was heroic type stuff. I mean, that's why you saw him emotional CD on the Mm -hmm. bench after the game. I mean, he had tears in his eyes. He knew he gave everything that he possibly could have given to his Missouri teammates in that game. And it almost feels like that was going to be their game plan. They knew he could be successful running behind that offensive line, and they were going to do that, pick and choose maybe when they had their explosives. And that's what makes the interception they had so heartbreaking. It was kind of a trick and play, right? You had a lot of different window dressings to that play, and it's just like, man, you were so successful just being you and playing your style of football. And the one time you tried to get outside of that, well, you have the turnover that cost you the game. It's interesting because we do like we've criticized Penn State for not being more aggressive in that game against yeah. Ohio State. And it's yet to be determined how they go after 
this game uh, that they'll play Saturday against Michigan. Um, we, we've criticized Lane Kiffin for maybe being overly aggressive and and wondering yeah. whether they'll try to do something a little different to mimic what uh, uh, Missouri had success with against Georgia's defense. But like at the end of the day, I think that's the the most important thing is one to know who you are and two be true to who you are. Sure, you have to come up with some things. Maybe that that uh, can be a little creative off of what you do from a base standpoint, but um, figuring out what you do best and executing that, and not t- trying to get too cute, is important. That that's ultimately what Arkansas did, right? In in, in getting rid of Dan Enos, Kenny Guyton comes in, narrows the focus of what they're doing offensively, gets back to doing what they do best. That's running the football with with KJ Jefferson. That's uh, you know getting pounding the ball with 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 rocket and you know until you yeah. start breaking some long ones like that 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 to me looked like the Arkansas team from last year that we expected to see this year and you know I, I thought it, uh, kudos to to uh, coach Pittman for making that change knowing that they needed to get back to doing what they do yeah because you have to have an identity and then once you establish that identity CD you have to live by it and you can't try to do things that you're not good at now Can you get outside and get in the gray area of your identity to not have tendencies? You absolutely can. But at the end of the day, you got to come back to the center of that identity because that's who you are. That's the fabric of of what you've tried to build. And then oftentimes we see teams just kind of forget that and leave that. And that's when you get into trouble. So there's some of these programs across the SEC that – establishing your identity also is, is difficult. I need to, I need to point that out as well. Like teams search for that identity. They don't always find it, but if you do find it and you do know where you live, you can get outside of it again in that gray area, but also you got to come back to it at times. Yeah, no doubt about it. Well, that is a, uh, that's a great, I'm glad we got into that conversation because I thought it was very insightful when we listened to you uh, talk about it on our Wednesday show together and, um, I, fascinating, you know, for those of us that haven't played that position, especially learning some of those coaching points. For me, my whole my beer is uh, I was gonna go two. I, I think the easy one would would have been the whole my beer back and forth passing of the beer between Jaden Daniels and uh, I and thought Jaylen about Milrow. that. Yeah, yeah, I think that one's low hanging fruit and easy. Uh, but it is funny though the way you talk about Cody Schrader running the ball is actually how I think Jaden Daniels runs the ball. Like if he's yeah. very patient. And letting blocks set themselves up and kind of floating around and then hitting it and getting downhill in a hurry once he has that that pass. Um, a little different running style for for Jalen Milrow. But for me, I'm gonna go with another ball carrier in this conference. Last week it was uh it was Jalen Wright running for yeah. the 52 yard touchdown on the fifth play of the game against Kentucky. This week he said, Hold my beer, I ain't waiting till the fifth play. I'm gonna <laughs> do it on the second play, and it's gonna be 82 instead of yeah. 52. Uh, just a great tone setter. And I, I I love this run game for Tennessee as a whole. The passing game starting to come around right now to complement what they do on the ground. But you can talk all you want about the the running backs, of which they have, you know, a couple pretty good ones. But the the offensive line, what they do to open up holes, and I know it was just UConn, but you go back to Kentucky, it was the same sense of, you know, some yeah. of these gap scheme runs where they're 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 pulling backside linemen and just blowing people off the line of scrimmage. It's it's uh it's fun for me to watch, and I have to imagine you as a former running back, it's even more entertaining. So when I look at run game, like there's different ways to to go about it. You can be an outside zone team, going back to our Missouri conversation, and you can be an inside zone team like LSU is. Like that's who you're going to be. That is going to be the run that is always up number one. I also can appreciate 
Ole Miss and Tennessee. Like I'm looking at Ole Miss's run chart right now. Okay, inside zone, power, counter, some man concepts, outside zone, all of that for them. Right, it, it is something where okay, of 350 runs, 108 inside zones, but 79 powers, 47 counters, 34 different man schemes, 26 outside zones. They are going to spread that wealth, and you don't find that everywhere. Again, going back to identity, you don't just do that because you're like, we got to have more plays in. Sometimes that's where you get into trouble. But if you have an identity, your players buy into that identity of, hey, we're going to be multiple run schemes. That's what we're going to be. We are not going to just hone in on this one. Tennessee has that as well, and Mm -hmm. I love it. 108 powers, 99 inside zones, 46 different man combinations, Okay, 42 counter runs, 14 outside zones, 14 draws. So of their 347 runs that they've run at Tennessee, it's not 280 inside zones or outside – no, that's who they are, right? And they buy into that. And when you're an 11 personnel team, all right, when you have one tight end, one back, three receivers, a lot of people assume inside zone. That's who you're going to be. That's where you're going to live. Maybe you run some outside zone, but you're going to live an in inside zone. It's not their top run. Their top run is power. CD, never would you think that power would be Tennessee's top run if you just allow it. If you're like, oh, hypel and tempo and passing yeah. yards. No, when you actually watch the tape and do a deep dive, that's what they want to run. It's their most successful run. Yards per carry, I'm putting you on the spot here, and I hate doing it, but how many yards per carry out of 108 powers do you think Tennessee has? Yards per carry, what would you Probably say? Probably five and a half. 7.4. Wow. That's a yeah. huge, huge – like five and a half would be a big number. Yeah. 7.4 yards out of 108 powers. So – you can assume what Tennessee is, but then they're going to show you, oh, no, we've got, hey, that guard, he's going to pull that tight end, right? He's going to get his block right there in the point, and we are going to be aggressive. We're going to have a physical nature to us out of 11 personnel. And going back to it again, if you can get that identity and your players buy into that identity, then you got something special because that just doesn't happen. Y'all ran probably a lot of 11 personnel at Florida. I bet power was not y'all stop run. No, no, I agree. Our, our top <laughs> run was uh, lead draw. We were just running the, the draw play off the, the passing action. So a little different. Oh, you know what our, our go-to fourth and short run was? Oh, what? Toss sweep to the right. Just run runs 38. Yeah. We actually run 38, 39, you know, that uh, try to get to the edge. And more times than not, it, it won. But that was the that was the go-to a tendency that Coach Spurrier had in those fourth and short conversion opportunities. Yeah, because like it's just not often would you see a team that plays this style and this, I guess, even this personnel and be that, you know, that power running type team. But that's that's who they are. So Ole Miss and Tennessee kind of have a very similar identity to your point of what's going to be up in the run game. Now, we'll get into Ole Miss and Georgia, and I want to throw something your way when we get to the pre-gaming portion of pre-gaming the SEC. As far as last call. For me, I was sitting in and I was trying to think like, okay, last call, what we saw last week. I wanted to go maybe Jalen Milrow, Jaden Daniels, just like you didn't hold my beer because like I think both those quarterbacks had huge performances in big moments. But I've had something kind of like bothering me a little bit, kind of on my heart this week mm-hmm. about Malik Neighbors from LSU. Yeah. And you heard me talk about this yesterday on Off Campus. But – and this has – and I hope our listeners know me well enough by this point. Do I love LSU? Absolutely. We'll talk about LSU Florida just to have some laughs here in a little bit. Absolutely, we will. But also, like, I'm objective to what I see. And so I don't want this to be the LSU homer take, but Malik Neighbors, 
needs to be the leading candidate in every single receiver conversation we have across the country, and he's not. And you and I do national radio, very fortunate to do that. And people will throw out three names before they get to Malik Neighbors. I don't understand why. And I want a champion for Malik Neighbors here in my last call before we move on to pregaming. He has 66 catches, 1,152 yards, 10 touchdowns, 17 and a half yards per catch. He is the leading receiver in the country with those 1,152 yards, right? He's second in touchdowns with 10. His 17 and a half yards, well, it's right up there with Marvin Harrison Jr., the guy that everybody talks about, and they should talk about Marvin Harrison Mm -hmm. Jr. He's going to be a top five pick in the NFL draft. He should be a top five pick. He is special, but so is Malik Neighbors. Malik Neighbors right now, CD, is averaging 128 yards per game. If we put that into NFL terms for an NFL season, he'd have over 2,100 yards receiving. Mm -hmm. All right, he is doing something – that even like some of the greatest receivers in SEC history, like those numbers, like they're right up there with it. And the thing that makes his run special, just like with the Alabama receivers in the past, just like Jets and Jamar, like when you have a teammate that's also putting up huge yeah. volume numbers, when you still are standalone, even with Brian Thomas having the numbers that he has, it's pretty special. It right? is. And, and Malik has just been fun to watch. He is so aggressive. He plays with a tenacity. And like I just I want to put his name out there because I want him to be in those conversations with the Marvin Harrison Juniors because just as he deserves to be in that, Malik Neighbors deserves to be in that conversation. He is dominating the toughest league in college football. And by the way, how about this stat? Who who do you think the last LSU receiver to have back to back thousand yard seasons is? Uh, I think I know this. I um, I believe I heard it, and I can't remember who it was. Well, I think it was in the SEC, uh, the the ESPN Sig notes, and I can't remember who it okay. was. Okay, Josh Reed. Yeah, Josh Reed. Yep. In the early two thousands, so yep. Dwayne Bow, mm-hmm. first round pick. Buster Davis, first round pick. Early Ducet, Skylar Green. Uh, hell, Odell Beckham Jr., Jarvis Landry, uh, Ruben Randall, DJ Chark. Uh huh. Jets. Jordan Jefferson, um, Jamar Chase. I mean, name, 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 name. First one since Josh Reed. So, uh, like, even at a place like LSU with first-round receivers throughout the last two decades, the year that he's having deserves to be talked about with the rest of the elite receivers in the country. And I'll say this to to reiterate what I said yesterday. Watching him play the receiver position, he's still very raw. He's still very uh, new in in terms of of how you go about running routes. I think when he's coached up a little bit more on the nuances of the position, how you close cushion more, you know, stepping on a guy's toe before you run past him getting skinny, uh, how you, you put your foot in the ground and separate on some of these corner routes that he's running. Uh, I, I think that he, you know, as he gets more creative to and what he's doing to set guys up, the sky's the limit for him. So yeah. I, I I'm with you, man. It's been fun watching him heading into the year. In my opinion, it was he and Juice Wells as the two best. Unfortunately, we didn't get to see Juice Wells, but right. his teammate Xavier Leggett kind of picked up, uh, where he's left yeah. off. There's been some tremendous seasons in the comp- conference. Brian Thomas Jr. You mentioned as well, but uh, to know that 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 Malik Neighbors is going to be the focal point of the passing game and to still not be able to 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 stop him on a week to week basis speaks to just how good he is and how good the connection is between he and Jade Daniels. All right, what's your last call there, CD? Before we get to pre gaming, yeah, my my last call. I, I go back to um, looking at 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 Florida's effort and it's not a, not a positive one. Um, This is a, a a game heading into Arkansas that I thought was a dangerous one. Uh, I thought it was. You warned me. 
You warned me. I, I was I all to. over it. I mean, yeah. I was hammering Florida everywhere I could. I think it's um, I think it's one of the it was a tough situation coming off of of the Georgia game. You know, you you, you put so much yeah. emotion and work into that. You get exposed and blown out early in that game. Um, you come back after a physical game and you're playing against a team that was on a bye that just made a change with the coordinator position that maybe yeah. playing with a little sense of urgency and uh, Florida just didn't have it defensively. I don't know how, if you watch the tape, but how many times they were not lined up when the ball was snapped, you know, guys putting their mouthpieces, defensive yeah. linemen standing up, like you can't play football like that. So the, the, these guys, whether it's doing kind of what maybe Arkansas did and simplifying, taking some things out, let, at some point in time, you got to get your cleats in the ground. And you got to play fast. Chiz used to talk about that all the time. And and right now, it doesn't seem like those guys, a lot of very youthful players and inexperienced players on that side of the ball, having a hard time you know, getting lined up and knowing what to do. But I just look at the, the team as a whole. Um, that was week 10, man. And, and to be as disorganized as they continue to be in a lot of facets leads me to believe. I believe in Billy Napier. I, I think he's, he's going to be a gr- great coach at Florida. Certainly, his recruiting seems to understand – you know, transfer portal and, and signing classes, what the culture is of, of the, the Florida program, how to have guys that fit into that, how to have guys fit into the scheme. Look at what Ricky Pearsall mm-hmm. two years ago this year, Graham Mertz, uh, yeah. Montreal Johnson. Like they, they, They've had some real success with that. But he's going to have to find, like Eli Drinkwitz did, a way to be the CEO and run the team from the sideline and not have to run the offense. Find somebody to coach special teams and, and have that be more of a priority and a focal point. I don't know why you need two offensive line coaches, but it uh, right now what's wor- what, what's happening is not working, and yeah. there needs to be. He, he made the comment. Uh, I'm interested in your thoughts about this. It, it was asked about the fans having patience. He said it's not his job to, to to preach patience to the fans, but I do think it's your job to show some progress and give fans hope, which can give yeah. them some patience. And uh, the steps back that we've seen in the last two weeks. Uh, I think it's been frustrating for Florida fans to watch and to think about having to live through maybe what's going to be the toughest schedule in the history of the Florida program next year for a third straight season. I know, and it doesn't get any easier this year to finish the season. I mean, they're trying to fight for their lives to be bowl eligible, and you've got LSU and Mizzou and and Florida State. I mean, you've got you know, all these teams that are going to be favorites against you, and not to say Florida can't certainly win any of those games. I mean, Florida has Jimmy's and Joe's to win those games. We've seen Florida play better. Like if they go out there and have the Tennessee performance, that's a different Florida team. They could beat all three of those teams, but also, as you know, very easily could lose to all three of those teams. And if they did, I mean, what, what would that feel like now, even with us talking about that a lot at sec media days, but looking up and if you did end up being a five and seven football team, a long way to go CD before you get there. I'm just saying I'm I'm playing the what if game. What if you do end up five and seven, does it change anything or is it more of a, okay, it sucks because the Florida Gators have a very high expectation as they should. We kind of knew this was a possibility going into the season. And with the recruits that we have and the things that we're doing on campus, we've always known that that was a possibility and also known that the future was bright. I think the thing that gets asked to me the most has is, you know, with all the losing that's taking place, mm-hmm. are they going to be able to keep together this recruiting class that's ranked third, I think, overall in the in the composite yeah. rankings? The answer to me is these guys are solid. It, it doesn't seem like they're being affected by anything other than the plan that's in place, what the relationships that have been created, how they fit in going forward. And um, DJ Lagway being the, 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 the leader of that crew and what he's done to recruit other players in and and yeah. what he's gotten them to buy into 
and the desire to play with him and, and play at Florida. I don't think anything's going to change that. Um, if you didn't have that recruiting class coming in, maybe it's a different story, but I, I think there's a lot of reasons to still try to be optimistic and patient. But yeah. with that being said, you know, the, the over-under was five and a half games heading into the season. And um, I was on the opinion originally that they would be under that. I kind of changed it to go to maybe six or seven as you I saw a flip-flop like a politician at the end there. I did. I did. I did. I, you know, it's not even flip-flopping. It's, it's the desire to buy <laughs> right. into your alma yes. mater and the emotions yes. getting involved in that. But it, it's kind of the season that I expected. I didn't think they'd win Tennessee, and I didn't expect them to lose to Arkansas. But at the end of right. the day, it's kind of the same you know, net net numbers of wins and losses that uh, looks like we're going to be dealing with. All right. Before we get to our very special guest of the week, that is former Florida and NFL safety major, right? One of the best to play at the university of Florida was definitely a head hunter. He was all over the Netflix documentary as well. And national champion there at Florida. I want to tell you about our friends over at Richard's Honda. Go check out their website, richardshonda.com, and check out the new vehicles they have. They have something for every single lifestyle. If you're looking for the Odyssey minivan, the Ridgeline truck, the Pilot HRV Passport CRV, if you're looking for that midsize SUV, they've got it all. Go check it out today. richardshonda.com, again, is that website home of the warm and fuzzy feeling. Major right, Florida safety, NFL safety, national champion there for the Florida Gators. One of our absolute guys joins us now. Mage, what's going on, man? Glad to have you back on. Jacob, what's going on, bro? How you doing? Man, doing well. And I'm sure you heard a little bit of that there. Man, this game, it look, this game, when we were playing, it was like, okay, whoever wins is going to go to a national championship. Now, unfortunately for both of our schools, that is not a point where they're at right now. Both schools need a win in this one, man. For LSU, they got to bounce back after Alabama. For Florida, a game in which I thought – now, CD tried to warn me, but I thought Florida last week was going to go out, handle business. They had the all-black uniforms. It did not work out for them. And obviously, the standard for the Florida Gators is just as high as the standard at LSU and both these teams trying to get back on track. For a fact, bro, um, back then when we was playing, bro, it meant something. It meant, oh, absolutely. it meant, you know, it meant more. Um, now it just is, 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 is kind of like getting a little watered down, you know what I'm saying? And we have to spice it back up to like, you know, being able to compete with these, you know, big time colleges, you know, and we are these big time colleges. So like right now we both on a down spree, <laughs> like it's, it's been a minute, bro. Yeah. It's, Since, uh... You know, it, it, it's been a minute since we had real hope and just saying like, okay, let's go, let's ride. This is our team. Let's get behind this team. No matter what, this is what we gonna do. You know, um, it, it's just been tough for us, man. And as, as a, you know, alumni and now as a fan as well, it, I, I feel, I feel the pain. Not having the control that you once did when you're out there on the field. And I think that's what every, former player kind of struggles with it as well as you know what what the the reputation that was created w when you played at that school and how how that's supposed to be carried by the next generation of players you know I, I think it was fun made to watch the uh Swamp Kings video on Netflix of you guys because it showed you know the, the personalities on that team and the leadership on that team whether it was you know, uh, Brandon Spikes or, 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 or Siler or, or you, or, you know, T-Ball on the offense. Like there were so many guys that, that, that were, were leaders. I, I wonder on this team, I don't know how much you've been around or how much you watch, but like, 
who are guys that stand out to you as the uh, the real leaders? Because when you when you turn the roster over with you know forty something new guys, it, it's it's tough to have any sort of continuity or even real relationships in that locker room. I would imagine. Yeah, because then it's just like you know who's gonna lead who. You ain't been here long enough to tell me this and that. You know, mm-hmm. um, uh, I honestly don't. I don't know who who's who's the leader. Like I haven't been around much to say, hey, man, when I seen this, I. I haven't been around much, you know, I've been, I've been, you know, uh, building my company. I've been doing what I've been doing and, and I've, I haven't been around as much. So I can't really tell yeah. you. Well, take me back. There. Take me back to how that leadership on that team that you are, those teams there in the, in the two thousands that, you know, end up winning back to back or uh, two national titles in three years. Well, yeah. Like, whoa, whoa. There was one team sandwiched in between there. CD. Yeah. There was a two loss Excuse team that won up there in between. That's right. I forgot <laughs> about them. Uh, but take us back to how that kind of dynamic in the locker room occurred where guys were able to kind of step forward as leaders. Man, Urban Meyer, he knew what he was doing. He went after these type of guys. Like these, the guys he recruited, he recruited guys who was leader on it, on a team. Mm-hmm. I was a leader at St. Thomas Aquinas, you know, as a sophomore, I came in and I was a leader, you know what I'm saying? And I did everything that I had to do to continue to be that leader and not just, you know, talk about it, just going out there and actually doing it on the field and off the field, you know? So I think it starts with recruiting these guys that's leaders. Because once a bunch of leaders get around leaders, like uh, it's a lot that's going to get done. Mm-hmm. You know, there's not going to be no lollygagging because if any group, like when we was there, if any group did lag, we always had a leader in that group. And that leader was going to make sure things was, you know, taken care of in that group. So all of us held each other accountable. You know what I'm saying? And no, no matter how big or how small you were, you had somebody that's going to hold you accountable to, you know, this, this football and, and this, this family that we've created. Now I wonder Mage, like during right now, like the college football transfer portal kind of era that we're going through right now. I'm not saying you can't find leaders in the portal. I think there's a lot of teams across the country, but like, a lot of times now, like some of your best players uh, for Florida, right? And you got Graham Mertz, you got Ricky Pearsall. Like those those guys, I think, are really good football players. They came from Wisconsin and Arizona State. And I'm not saying they're not leaders, but just an example of, you know, how impactful transfers can be. And to try to find the leaders in the transfer portal, it's hard. You don't have like the time and you don't have the face-to-face. Like when Urban Meyer recruited you, he probably started when you were a sophomore. I know when Nick Saban recruited me to LSU – Right. That that's a process right. where he knows me. He knows my mom, my dad, yeah. my girlfriend who became my wife, my brothers. He knew everybody in my family. And in the portal, you got about it feels like 10 minutes to decide if you want to take that play or not. And sometimes you get burned. Yeah. Oh, and, and it's a lot of burning going around because <laughs> this NIL is, is, is throwing up, you know, is is putting a lot of f- fuel to this fire, you know. Um, it's adding some real fuel to this fire with this NIL deal. I mean, with these NIL deals with these kids, because now it's not about football. You know, now it's about me surviving, get my family out of this position that we're in. And I am the closest that could do it. So it, it, it don't make it about football anymore. It just makes it, makes it about, it makes it a business. And once the business aspect leave of leave from it, it's hard to now bring football into it you know because 
I get paid now. I'm making more than some of my coaches. Mm-hmm. Better yet, majority of my coaches, I'm making more than, you know what I'm saying? So how you going to tell me and coach me to do this here? I got the bag. Like, this is how these kids think now. Like, and it's, that's what money do. Like, money can do that when, when you're an immature kid and you, you're not mature enough to understand this is a business. So let me go out here and conduct business. Let me go out here and go make this money. You know what I'm saying? So I can potentially make more money. Mm-hmm. A lot of these kids are like, now, man, listen, I got the bag. You can't tell me much. So, so the NIL is, is kind of making it a little tricky, you know, um, and it's not about you know, football. Let's go back to your playing career. Uh, we, we talked about some of the, the, the things in the locker room, the leadership and all, but let's talk about this LSU game and the history. Jacob brought up earlier, this, this game has been played 69 times, 33 wins for Florida, 33 for, for LSU and three ties. So a, uh, a very even series and, yep. and wow. Florida, yeah, much better LSU team than when I was at Florida and played against those guys. But uh, if you had to, to think about uh, LSU, what memories stand out in your mind? Oh, man, I ain't going to even lie. This one memory when we went to the dog Baton Rouge, man, and, and Jacob ran me over. He trucked me. Boom. As I'm I'm a freshman, and I'm just like, the, the whole open up, man, and I come downhill. I didn't come down like I normally would, like, just releasing everything and I don't know why but I kind of hesitated a little bit man Jacob came through bro and he really like introduced me to like you know real college football bro he wasn't going down bro (laughs) he ran through me bro I was like boom I'm like oh my god so I look at him and then it didn't make it as bad because as soon as he did that Tony Joyner like jumped right on him and and, you know got him down so I think Mage Mage I'll tell you I'll tell you this though a couple things. One, I got you and you were a freshman and I was a senior. So you were going to get payback the next year, but I went to the draft. All right. So, hey, I made sure <laughs> that I got you early in your career because you were a different cat, sophomore, junior year. Right. Hey, And then the second part, and I mean this. Most of the time when a running back had that much space, he was probably going to try to score a touchdown and make a move. I didn't have a move. That's all I had in my <laughs> arsenal. <laughs> So you're probably surprised that this guy wasn't going to try to make a move and score a touchdown. <laughs> bro, bro, you was running hard that whole game, though, bro. Like, you was running hard, bro. Like, it was tough to tackle you, bro. You was you wasn't an easy back to tackle, bro. You hey, was really good, bro. But, but going you back did- to that series, though, Mage, I mean, I mean, all honestly, like, everybody in that game knew what that game meant, and it went up, yeah. like, seven yeah. levels. Like, even yeah. if you don't consider LSU a rival, you don't consider Florida a rival, I think there's so many Sunday players in that game that end up playing in the NFL, and they raise their level of play because of what I said. You knew if you won that game, because if we'd have beat y'all in 06, we would have went to the Natty, right? Oh, in 07, fact. if y'all win that game, who knows where y'all end up? And then, like, yeah. 2000, like, when you played in that game, if you won, you had a chance to do something special. Yeah, and then too, bro, the atmosphere is is nuts, man. I'm gonna tell you this: going in, going into Baton Rouge, that I can tell you this: Baton Rouge was the loudest stadium I've ever played in in college, other than the Swamp. Yeah, I'd, I'd vice versa. Other that, than say the, the swamp, same thing, yeah. Other than the Swamp, because I again, like, I remember this like vividly, bro. I'm sitting next to Joe Hayden, and we looking up at the scoreboard, but then I'm like, I'm next to him, I'm like Joe. He can't hear me. Literally, I'm sitting right next. I'm like, Joe, 
Joe can't hear me. That I looked around the whole stadium, bro, and just was like, I was at awe, bro, how loud this stadium was, bro. The atmosphere was crazy. And like you said, bro, everybody brought up they they level of play, bro, because they knew how important that game was. Yeah, without question, man. There's there's so many stories I could I mean, I could give 06 stories, right? It was the first time that Tebow had a jump pass. I know you weren't there yet, but I know you remember the first one that he had. Chris Leak was playing at a high level, but they brought Tim in and Tim, he had a package, like he had a role. And like it just it felt like that offense when they went out there, like they didn't think they were going to score, like they knew they were going to score. Like score. it was this yeah. ultimate belief that they had once he came in. It was a part of that offense, man. It was something special. I was there. I was there at that game as a recruit, bro. I was well, there watching y'all. Well, now, we, like, now I wish we would have won. Maybe we had a better chance of getting major right in purple and gold <laughs> and not blue and orange. Uh, and, I mean, Percy Harvin, we could go name for name for name. Golly, bro, we definitely had some. We had some. We had some ballers, man. Like I could honestly say, talent-wise, the University of Florida when I was there, bro, like that team was full of talent, bro. Like I'm talking about, like elite guys, bro, at every position. So we knew how good we could be, and we ended up living up to our, you know, potential, yeah. you know what I'm saying? And that that's what made us so good, bro, because we all wanted to count on each other and lean on each other, and we had every opportunity too, bro. Ahmad knew I had his back. Spikes knew I had a back, you know what I'm saying? So, like, it was just accountability that we just knew, man, I got my brother back, and he got my back. Hey, real quick, uh, Mage, you're talking about tough – Guys to tackle, Jacob, obviously a little different style than another LSU guy. I don't know how much you've watched Jaden Daniels, the quarterback for LSU this season. Uh, this dude is is difficult to deal with. His passing game has improved. Uh, his his uh, running game, like emptying out the backfield and just letting him kind of do his thing is is the, maybe the, the best play you can call. What, what makes him, from your standpoint, if you're playing safety, like what are the things you're thinking about and having to defend an offense with him at this trigger? Man, it's so difficult to to face a running style, a, a running and running and throwing quarterback, bro. Like, it's just difficult because it's hard to prepare for that during the week if you don't have a running quarterback on that team. You know what I'm saying? So, who are you gonna put that quarterback to? You know, mimic their quarterback. So you're not getting realistic looks when you are in practice. So, um, I think with what defenses struggle with is because it's two components. It was three components. You got to really wor worry about. You got to worry about the run. You got to worry about the pass and you got to worry about this quarterback shaking the, the shit at you. You know what I'm saying? And, you know, and making you look bad, bro. These, these quarterbacks now, when you get them in open field, they're just like a receiver and a running back, mm -hmm. you know? So, it, and then it's, it's, it's harder because, the defensive end normally supposed to set the edge, but with how much speed these guys have, man, it's hard for yeah. you. It's hard for a DN to hey go set this edge on a you know um, these type of style of quarterbacks. So now you gotta you gotta bring a safety in, bro. It's just it's just so many different components. I hate it. I hated it. I hated it. <laughs> like I hated playing against yeah. you know guys like Cam Newton, you know guys like RG three. Mm -hmm. You know, these type of guys are very elusive, man. I don't want that, man. I want, I want yeah. me a throwing quarterback, right. you know.
Yeah, man. A lot of great memories shared here with our guy, Major Wright, seven-year NFL vet, national champion there for the Florida Gators, one of the best to do it there in a very talented secondary. Major, man, we can keep this going for another hour, but we appreciate your time as always, my brother. Keep it safe. Man, thank thank y'all for having me, bro. Y'all continue to spread love, man. Appreciate y'all. All right, again, we appreciate Major Wright for his time. Again, one of the absolute best to do it there for Florida in the defensive backfield and a long list of Gators that did it well in the defensive backfield. Still not DBU, but hey, hey, chill, <laughs> chill. We'll, we'll have that conversation. Debate, I know. This year. <laughs> oh, my gosh, is it under debate this year? Uh, also, is there like a quarterback spy you? Because I'd like to have that one <laughs> as well. All right, let's go bring in our guy, Big Terp, because it is time for the pre-gaming portion of pre-gaming the SEC. Big Terp. Where are we going to start? We are starting in Lexington for that noon game. Alabama at Kentucky. Alabama favored by 11 in this one. Which Kentucky yeah. shows up, CD? Yeah. Which Kentucky I, I, is going I, to be there for the opening kickoff? Honestly, which Alabama shows up? The Alabama True. that struggled on the road the last two seasons, that made mistakes, that were penalized a lot, or the Alabama that seems to have gotten over that maybe since the South Florida game? Um, it, it, it's... Rarely do we talk about Alabama being in an interesting spot, but this is an interesting spot for them. Coming off the emotional yeah. win over LSU True. last week, having to play at noon against a, a an SEC opponent, walking into what I think is a more challenging environment than probably a lot of people would give Lexington Agree and, that, yeah. and Kroger Field credit for. But um, this was a game in the offseason that I picked as, as my upset special of, of the SEC season. I don't know that that's going to happen now, but I do think it's going to be more competitive than people think. And when you have a team that maybe is as young and Im immature, I, I, immature sounds like a negative, but I, I don't mean it in a negative in this Alabama sense. It's just that they don't have maybe the Bryce Young and Will Anderson type leadership that they had last year. So you go into a game like this, how, how focused are they? How much do they really know yeah. about Kentucky? How much do they know about how physical Kentucky is probably going to want to be with these guys? I just think it's it's it, it's a dangerous setup that they're walking into, and I think it's going to be more competitive yeah. than people think. Yeah, and it's always the game after the game. We talked about that yesterday, right? You build up for the LSU game, and you know you you spend all week knowing that that's going to probably be a game in which you got to make two or three plays to win it. It's going to be a tight game. It's going to have a great crowd, electricity, and then it's like, okay, what about the game after that game? It's going on the road. It's against a team that you're expected to beat. You're a 11-point favorite right now on the road. It's an environment that you don't really know a whole lot about, right? It's, it's a team you really don't know a whole lot about because you don't play them yeah. very often. Like All those things play into it. You mentioned the early kick. Like, this isn't the Big Ten. We don't like early kicks in the SEC, okay? So, like, how many of those is Alabama played? Yeah. Not, not very often do they play a noon game at all because they're Alabama. Like, even their bad opponents, they're like 3.30 CBS game because yeah. they're Alabama. Uh, CD, they haven't been on the road since October the 7th. It's been a month. Mm -hmm. It's been a month since they've been on the road because you had three straight home games in a bye week. Okay, well, like, that could, you know, potentially affect the game so there's there's some things that alabama has to deal with now if they deal with those things and they play their game you like the crimson tide to win this game now kentucky has enough jimmies and joes to make this thing interesting i think it's one of the most undervalued stadiums in the country not just the sec what will the noon crowd be like i don't know it's alabama coming to town i know that and i know you don't get that very often in lexington so Maybe that brings the people out early and often and for them to be that crowd that you and I both have seen and experienced in person. So 
this one does have the potential to have the chaotic energy that I talked about at the beginning of the show today. I don't know that it lives there, but if Alabama doesn't come right, I know that Kentucky, because of how they're coached and how they play, they'll make this thing interesting. So it's more about Alabama than Kentucky. You're right. Like I started off saying which Kentucky, but you're spot on. Which Alabama? Yeah, I'm excited, too, that there's maybe finally that counterpunch to complement the run game that seems to be developing. Yeah, with we Devin finally Leary saw Devin Leary, yes. You know, finally two weeks in a row, it looks like uh, they're starting to figure some things out there. So could be a dangerous time to catch Kentucky. Uh, biggest thing for me is the defense. I know they you know, kept Mississippi State out of the end zone, but that that's an offense that's really struggling prior to well, that. Well, me, you, and Big Turp could line up and probably say, have some success against Mississippi State's offense. Prior to that, they gave up, what, 51 to Georgia, 38 to, to Missouri, yeah. uh, 31 against uh, Tennessee. So uh, they've got to get back to playing that big blue defense that typically we've yeah. come to expect uh, from Brad White and and, uh, and Coach Stoops. Yeah, I agree with you there. All right, Big Turp, where are we going next? Uh, we're going to Vandy, South Carolina, also a noon Eastern on SEC Network. South Carolina at home, favored by 13 and a half. Gamecocks yeah. one and five in the SEC. Vanderbilt 0 and six in the SEC. Man, South Carolina, maybe the most surprising team. And I had higher hopes than some did. They lost a lot in the portal. I do realize that. But they also got some good players out of the portal. And I am just surprised with how bad their season has been. I just thought they were going to be a team that kind of lived where Kentucky's at right now. I thought mm -hmm. they'd be in that kind of position right now here at this portion in the season. And they're not anywhere close to that right now. Um, they're still better than Vanderbilt. I still think they're going to win this football game. Uh, they're still fighting. We know Shane's going to have them doing that. Like, they're still fighting in these games. They just don't have the Jimmys and Joes right now to be able to go out there and be as competitive. And there's been some miscues, I think, from the coaching staff as well. But it's just been a disappointing season for that football team that I thought would build off the late-season success they had a year ago. And so there's challenges all over the place. Vandy still has the same challenges that they've had for years. I think Clark Lee understands those challenges because he's a player there. Right, You have an AD who was a player there. They understand those challenges together. They're building towards the future. There's actually buildings being built. Now, in Nashville, they're everywhere. There's cranes literally yeah. everywhere, but they weren't on Vanderbilt's campus. Now they are. I think that's a big step for them. The future is brighter at Vandy, but still same Vandy this year. South Carolina, you got to go win. Yeah. I mean, this is – this is one that um, you want to really have some some restless natives that go out there and and, and lose this game. I mean, you know, the, the schedule actually kind of sets up okay for them. You know, with all of their remaining games being at home, yeah. and, and Clemson maybe not being what they've typically have been. Uh, this is one that there's no excuse for not not going out and getting. And um, I'll say the thing that I, I feel the two things I feel the most confident in: Shane Beamer finds a way to get his team back up off the mat and play hard when things are looking bleak. Uh, it wasn't a great performance against Jacksonville State, but they found a way to, to win that game. Uh, it's, so it's, I, a, it's a better team. Sorry to interrupt you there, but it is a, Jacksonville State's a better sure. team. But still, to your point, you're South I mean, Carolina. All of the yeah. explosive plays you gave up defensively, yeah. you know, they, they they were able to get four turnovers, including the pick six to seal it at the end. But they, yeah. there's a lot that, that, that was left to I be agree. desired. But I also know this. Spencer Rattler at home starts as fast as anybody I've ever seen. Go back and look this year. I mean, I think 11 for 11, you know, by 19 from 19 or something like against Mississippi State this past week. I think he started 10 of 11. Like this dude gets out of the gate fast, and it's a credit to his preparedness yeah. and having a sense of urgency from the get go. So we know he'll start fast, and I expect South Carolina to win this game. 
All right, Big Terp, where are we going? All right, next up, why don't we do Auburn, Arkansas? This one's in Fayetteville. It's a mm. 4 p.m. Eastern kick. Arkansas at home, a two-and-a-half-point favorite. I mean, this I'm, I have no idea which way to go here. I love I have, Arkansas. Yeah. I love Arkansas in this okay. game. I love okay. Arkansas in this game, and I'm, I'm, I don't want to go on record yet as saying it's a best bet. I think that Auburn's getting some love. So you just like them then? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You don't love them then because if you loved them, you commit. Do you have commitment issues? Oh, no, I'll commit right now. Put that down. Mark that down, Big Turk. <laughs> best bet, Arkansas. What, minus two? Two and a half. Two and a half. Two and a half. I'll buy the hook. That hook, that hook doesn't yeah, matter. Yeah. Um, but the, the, I think Arkansas is not as bad as what their record would have you believe it was. Florida found that out firsthand. Yeah. Arkansas also remembered who they were. They got back to running. KJ Jefferson carries the ball. Uh, what do you say? I, I want to say 19 times, 17 times, 19 times for 92 yards in that one. Yeah. The majority of those being called quarterback runs. I only think he had two or right. three scrambles in that game. So he was an integral part of the run game plan going in. They got him outside, yeah. used him in some bootleg situations. And 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 I think that put more pressure on the defense. He's not a pocket passer. Like, I, I don't know why right. you tried to make him a pocket passer behind an offensive line that wasn't consistent blocking for him within the pocket. So I like Arkansas figuring things out. I don't think the passing game is maybe as good as it looked against Mississippi State for Auburn. Certainly some ups and downs last week against uh, Vanderbilt. But how about the upgrade on Arkansas's defense this year? Has Arkansas's defense yeah. was abysmal last year, last year, abysmal last year. And they've, yeah. they've, they've, they've improved that part, the back end. They've been opportunistic and taking the ball away. And uh, I, I think that this team is much better than probably people nationally recognize. Yeah, I mean, Landon Jackson, guys like that, giving them better pressure off the edge as well. So, it, yeah, in the totality of the defense, it's been much better. And th that losing streak, I, I love that you pointed that out. I mean, there's some close losses to some really good teams. In Tiger Stadium, right, one possession game. In Bryant-Denny, one possession game. I mean, so all losses aren't created equal. I mean, when you go on the road, and they had a stretch where they're playing AM and Arlington. I mean, they're going yeah. to, to, to Tuscaloosa and Baton Rouge and all these places. Like, that was a tough, tough stretch. And so, they now, they didn't win any of those. I realize that, but you're right. Like, their record probably wasn't indicative of who they were. Yeah, I, I agree with you there. So, do you, do you like Auburn or do you like Arkansas. Oh, well, now that you love them, I'm going to love them too. I mean, you <laughs> know right. how I am. I mean, I'm always going to back the boys. Let's go. Let's ride. I did get some criticism last week off the record about uh, my pick of the won. Uh, Crimson Tide. It won for you, but I'm just letting you know, like when you said back Florida, what I do? Yeah, I led you down the wrong path. That was against <laughs> Georgia, which, uh, you know, I led you right off the cliff. Yeah. But, yeah. Uh, and then and then I went all in on Florida against Arkansas I when you were to trying tell you. to tell me. To not to do that okay yeah Oof. some some bad advice going a couple of different ways big turf <laughs> what we got next all right another sec west battle AM mississippi state AM favored by 18 and a half points everybody should be favored don't even finish everybody should be favored against mississippi state everybody they have no identity talking about identity earlier they have no idea who they are they are so conflicted right now they are so in their heads on both sides of the football offense and defense the defense is shocking Zach Arnett's a defensive coach. They had a lot of experience coming back on that team. Like, not just like 
one-year experience type guys, but like three, four-year experience guys, guys that have been in the fray for a long time. And then offensively, you knew it was going to be a transition CD, but they still have no clue. We are in week 11. They have no idea who they are. They could not tell. If you said, hey, offensive guys, get a pen, get a legal pad, write down what you think our identity is on offense, you would have 73 different answers. They have no clue who they are right now. And so, yeah, Texas A&M, it's not great. But what's the thing that can get you to get back to being on the right track and the right path? Mississippi State. Yeah, this is a game they got to have. And, you know, there's some there's some uh, upset folks, I think, in both of, of these fan bases. People in Starkville know? should be mad. That, that That's a roster that should be better record-wise than it is. And even just turning on all 22, I mean, I, I hate to just keep on – hating on Mississippi State, but I had I had hopes for him this year, yeah. man. I was excited to watch some of these veteran defensive players and Will Rogers in a new offense, and it's just been a bag full of bad. Well, the the offense is almost understandable. Transitioning from a roster that was largely recruited to play in the air raid to something a little more pro style under Kevin Barbe. You can hey, almost... but people people told us though after we said that at SEC Media Day that we were being haters on Mississippi State and yeah. that we didn't know football. Well, you know, it, I, I think it, anybody that uh, tried to deny that would be a challenge probably is either naive or stupid. But I, I think, you know, the, clearly the injuries to the two most important guys on offense, having them out for the last few weeks has not helped. Yeah. But you're right about the overall identity of the team. The surprising part, though, the the, the defense returned a ton of folks on that. You know, Manuel Forbes, you know, one of the, the, the real – losses on that defense but the majority of the production was back including two linebackers that have done their part this year i mean you can't say enough yeah. how what jet johnson and boogie watson have have done to try to help that defense but zach arnett's the the architect he's the one that, that built that defense it's not like he's completely not around anymore he's the head coach of the team <laughs> yeah. so you would think that the defense would be better than what it is but they have not been very good giving up a ton of explosive passing plays this season all right, Big Terp, where are we at? All right, three more. How about Tennessee, Missouri? Number 13, Tennessee, number 14, Missouri. Right now, on Thursday, Tennessee is a one-point favorite on the road. Mm, I don't understand that one. I don't understand that one. I'm not even saying that it should be like a, a huge line. I think three and a half for the home team, or three. Let's call three. Let's call it a pick them. Let's call it a pick them game. I was a little bit surprised that Tennessee CD is a favorite in this game. Not that I think you know Tennessee is a bad football team, but of what I think about Mizzou. Now, Tennessee, the analytics love Tennessee. Matchup predictor on ESPN.com, 60.7% for Tennessee in this matchup. Only 39.3% for Mizzou. So the analytics do love Tennessee. Okay. Now, I want to see, hey, Mizzou, okay, I think you're a really good football team. Not an okay, not a good, really good. Yeah. Not great, but you're close. You showed me something last week, but last week's over. Yeah, You have to show me something this week because if you want to go to a different tier, if you want to go from tier three to tier two, tier two to tier one, whatever it might be, these are the games that you have to go out there and win. You're in Como. It's, it's in your building. It's against a team in which people are telling you you don't have – the ability to beat in your own stadium. And you feel like, hey, you're 13, we're 14. What are you telling me right now? Missouri, come into this game as the aggressor. Come into this game with the belief that you should be the favorite in this game. I want to see how you bounce back. You fought like hell in Athens last week. 
that doesn't mean anything anymore. Fighting like hell. And your head coach, Eli Drinkwitz, told me in CD this. They don't, he doesn't care about that. Fighting like hell is great, but you got to win the game. Mm-hmm. These are the type of games that you got to show me you've changed the program, that you're going to a different tier. Now, Tennessee, right? You're going to come in, same situation. You're a good football team as well. You're going to come in, and this is going to be a win that you can continue to build your program off of as well. But I'm just coming from a Mizzou perspective because they're not getting that respect right now, and people don't believe that they can have a game like they had against Georgia and then come back the next week and have another performance that's like that. So that's why I'm challenging Mizzou right now. Kirby Moore, Blake Baker, Eli Drinkwitz, that coaching staff, show me that you deserve to go up another tier because I've got you there right now. But you got to prove to yourself and to your fans that you deserve to be in that tier. Whatever that tier is, whatever the next tier up from a year ago was, you're there for me. Go show the rest of the country you're there. Yeah, I think it's uh, interesting because they are in the same spot that Florida was in last week against Arkansas. Coming off the game against Georgia, the the mental toll that comes with losing a game that you put so much importance and effort and focus on yeah. uh, the, the, the physical hangover from playing the Bulldogs, which we know we can, they, they certainly deliver the fight. Um, so where, yeah, where is, where are they with that? I, I'll say this. I've been very impressed with the way that the, the folks in Como have created a home field advantage there. They've done yeah. it already on an early game against Kansas state. LSU was great. This one. Yeah. LSU was a great one in an early window. Great environment. Do this. Do the same thing for this one. I know they don't like Tennessee. I know that they feel like that they're uh, maybe looked at as a kind of a, a, a little, little brother level. element. Yeah, for so sure. I think this is an opportunity for them to change that narrative. And uh, I'm I'm excited because I, I think the rest of the conference, outside of the conference, the rest of the country needs to realize that this is a very good, complete team that has more than just a, a Brady Cook and, and Luther yeah. Bird to look at. I agree with you as well. And, and what a great opportunity for Tennessee to go in to somebody else's building and continue, again, to build your program back to the standard that you have had for a long time. It gives you a great opportunity to have 10 win regular seasons. Those things don't just come easy. In fact, they're pretty damn hard to be able to achieve. And so it's a great opportunity for them. And again, went to the Mizzou angle for me because people are expecting you not to show up. I have more belief in Mizzou, and I think they will show up. I think we're talking about a great football game between two really good teams. All right, Big Turp. Two more left, right? Not mistaken. Yeah. I, I wonder which one you're saving you for, last. for last. Uh, the one, the one that matters here on this podcast. <laughs> All right, so let's maybe go. maybe that's the only place it matters, but yeah. it matters here. Damn it, it matters here and on SEC this morning. Yes, um, and the common denominator is Chris Doring. All yeah. right, um, Ole Miss number nine at number two, Georgia in Athens. Georgia right now a ten and a half point favorite. Let's take a, a little second yeah. to kind of recap what you and I talked about on off campus on Wednesday. And that's all right. You, you mentioned it earlier on the podcast too. What, what is Ole Miss? What do they do? You know, the inside runs, you talked about the inside zone, yeah. you talked about counter, you talked about power, some of those things mm-hmm. like this Georgia defense is tough to just line up and run the football right at them. You know, you you saw Florida try to do some different things with misdirection, trying to, to, to use some, some things to get to the edge of the defense. Yeah. Um, they didn't do it quite as well as, as they would have liked, but Georgia's defense has been susceptible to a couple things. Yeah. Edge perimeter runs. They haven't done a good job of setting the edge. They don't have the same free flowing linebackers that can play sideline to sideline as well. Uh, and they give up some, some plays, some contested plays at times yeah. in one-on-one coverage, like Brady cook and that receiver group for Missouri took advantage of. Well, what does Ole Miss do? Well, they, they Trey Harris, probably five of his 
10 catches last week were contested catches. Those guys go up and get the football. Watkins has been tremendous to that. Dayton Wade has done that. Uh, Drayton Wade has done that as well. So yeah, I, I think that that's going to be something I keep my eye on is how many contested catches that Ole Miss is able to, to go make plays on. But do they decide to try to attack the perimeter a little more? Do they try to use Jackson yeah. Dart at the quarterback position? Peyton Thorne made some explosive plays in, in that Auburn game. Very much so. Jackson Dart against Arkansas has been um, – he got banged up in that, and his carries have gone down precipitously. Some of that has to do with the emergence or reemergence of, of Ulysses Bentley and, and Quin, Quinchon Judkins. But I honestly think they were trying to protect him because he was not healthy. Well, you're going to have to run him in this game. Lane Kiffin, Charlie Weiss Jr., those guys have an offense that's predicated on running the football and has a yeah. large piece of the quarterback run involved in that. So I think if they're going to beat this Georgia team, they have to involve that. But I'm anxious to your thoughts on do they try to attack the perimeter more right. even though they haven't necessarily been a perimeter run team? It's a great question. It's really the notes I had pulled up for this matchup. Okay, we go back to Ole Miss. We mentioned it earlier. In 350 runs this year, they've run outside zone 26 times. Okay? Now, last week, what did Mizzou have a lot of success with? It was outside zone. Okay? Last week, they ran it 16 times for five yards per carry. Against Georgia, you get five yards on any run, that is highly successful in my book, okay? So that's what they led with. Now, they had a couple of draw plays that hit as well, but, you know, draw plays are never going to be your lead run, I guess, unless you're in Steve Spurrier type yeah. offense in the 90s when nobody else was throwing the football, like you said earlier, CD, but it's never going to be your lead run, okay? So outside zone, that's where they had success. That's not who you are. How much do you try to copycat what Missouri did or – do you stay true to yourself? That's what Ole Miss is probably battling with right now internally. Okay. Because you have two really good running backs. Can they run outside zone? Yeah. You've run it 26 times now out of 350 plays, not a high percentage, but it's in your playbook. How much do they try to replicate what Mizzou did because you've got running backs that can be successful, but how much of do we get outside of our identity? Does Ole Miss play with, because that is a slippery slope for this Ole Miss team. How much Jackson Dart run game do you have? Knowing that you've got a veteran quarterback behind him where you can always – coaches, want, like if they're going to run their quarterback, they want to know if, if something happened, he took a shot, who's coming in? Well, they mm -hmm. got a, a good situation there. But I am curious, how much will Ole Miss try to be who Mizzou was in the run game last week, knowing that it's not something you specialize in? All right, that is that great internal battle of going back and forth, of trying to talk yourself in and out of that. I think if they can find a way to find that sweet spot of, hey, we're going to go into it. We want to run eight in uh, outside zones this week. Okay, let's run eight of them. Let's make sure that we pick our, our, our spots and we do it well. And, and Quinshaw Junkins and Bentley, we're going to be coached up on it. Things like that are in a matchup like this, right? When you're trying to punch up and you're trying to pull off the major upset on the road, you have to go into it with a game plan of here's who we're going to be this week. All right, we have a couple of things that are outside of our norm, but that's what it's going to take to go into Athens and beat a team that just doesn't lose. And we already talked about earlier having to hit some explosive plays, having to be yeah. able to create some turnovers. All of those things are part of the recipe for pulling off the upset, particularly on the road. But we look at how you know talented this team is. I think, I think one of the biggest questions I have about you know how this game plays out is is how is the approach of Lane Kiffin. I think mm -hmm. in, in years past in big ball games, a la 2021 Alabama, he was desperate. 
He, he instead yeah. of of being aggressive, you cross the line into desperation. Some of those fourth down tries, maybe some analytics tell you to go for it. At some point, you got to get points just for what that does to your team and to give them some confidence. I think he believes he's got a better team now than what he did then, a more complete team that's capable of going in and playing in a game like this against yeah. uh, uh, Georgia. So I'm anxious to see how he goes about uh, attacking, um, you know, offensive and defensive play calling, aggressiveness of, of shot plays, blitzes, those things, but also aggressiveness of 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 when you decide to go for it and when you 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 maybe right. play percentages a little bit more. Yeah, I agree with you there. Like, you'd love for him to have like a really good grasp on certain situations going into the game and have a plan. Now, you don't want to lose yourself. Lane's, I mean, look, Lane's really good at in in game management. He is. I mean, sometimes he gets outside of that. I understand that, but he does a pretty nice job of knowing who he wants to be. Yeah. I'm not saying that you agree with it, but he knows who he wants to be just a little bit back from what we saw yeah. that last time where he was uber aggressive in that matchup because the analytics sometimes can fool you in a game like this. And so certainly one that Ole Miss has an opportunity to go and be successful, but Georgia keeps catching everyone's best shot and they're finding a way to win. So which one of those is going to win out this weekend? All right, Big Terp, I think we've got one more game left, if I'm not mistaken. We do have one more game left. It is the game of the week, the game of the year on this podcast. It is Florida LSU. Um, it's brought to my attention. One of these teams is on a little bit of a winning streak. And has dominated this Are series. They? Give, the, give the history, please, Hester, though, will you? Yeah, 10 of the last 13, 8 out of the That's last 10, the 5 out of the last 6, and 4 in a row. What? I wanted the 69 games, 33 wins for Florida, 33 <laughs> wins for LSU, three ties in that series. That's the history I wanted. Oh, uh, sorry. I, th I thought you wanted the the 10 out of the last the 13, the, no, you know, 8 of the that. last 10, no. and all. Okay. Uh, yeah, how like, about that, though? like Charlie Brown's T-shirt. Right? <laughs> <laughs> uh, going for a five in a row for the first time. Um, yeah, 33, 33, and three. How about that? How about that for a series? And that's mm -hmm. why this – this is a fantastic series, and you're going to get it again next year. I don't know what it looks like in the future after that, yeah. but my God, I don't want it to go away. I mean, that is parity. That is big moments for both teams, both schools. We were, we, you know, when we caught up with Major Wright earlier in the show, it was a game in which when I was playing, when he was playing, if you won it, you're probably going to win a natty. Like yeah. it had that feel to it. I love this game. Weird happens in this game. Um, elite performances come out in this game. Trash talk comes out in this game. I mean, it's not all been LSU. I mean, Darius Geis goes the wrong way. Goal line stand yeah. for Florida in a game that wasn't supposed to be in Tiger Stadium. That's a big moment for Florida. I've seen that highlight play a ton. And Cade York hitting the 50-plus yard field goal in the fog. And, and that being a scene that I'll always remember. And Marco Wilson throwing the cleat in the same game. Like, Man, this game has that. It has fake field goals. It has fake punts. It has fourth down conversions. It has jump passes from Tebow. It's got everything. I look forward to it every single year. It is, I mean, like, okay, LSU's having, like, and we love to troll in this series. Florida had their baseball uh, championship, like, celebration against LSU, right, in 2017, because who'd they beat? They beat LSU, so they knew what they were doing. Yeah. Guess who's got their baseball celebration this weekend? I can guess. LSU, because they beat Florida. Uh, the 03 National Championship teams having their 20-year reunion. Now, they lost to Florida that year. It's the only loss they had, but they're having it this weekend because this is a petty series. This is a trolling series. I love it. It is something that brings me joy. Do I want LSU to win? Yes. 
But even regardless of the outcome of the game, I love it. I thrive in it. And it's got so much chaotic energy around it. Uh, quick story. Yeah. And I'm probably not even going to get into the game because I just love it so much. And I love talking about the history of this series. I come back from the NFL. It would have been probably my my second year in. Okay. Second year in the NFL. My bye week is Florida week. I had just had Jackson. Jackson's like a month old. He's in Tiger Stadium. It was a record attendance at that time. I don't even know what the number was. So I, I am supposed to be a responsible adult with a child. Well, pregame, Florida starts going out there and they're stomping on the eye of the tiger. They're dragging their cleats on it. And I black out. I, again, second year in the NFL, I'm supposed to have bigger things to worry about. I am a father, okay, uh, of a young child. And I feel Matt Flynn pulling me by my belt loops because I look down and my feet are on the hash. <laughs> I am yelling pregame at college kids for stepping on the eye of the tiger before the game, trying to fight college kids that are in full pads. I'm in here in, in dress clothes, and my quarterback is having to go pull me off the field because I'm an idiot, and I'm yelling at the Florida Gators because that's what this series means. Yeah. You forgot maybe one of the best trolls of all was the uh, Tebow phone number being distributed throughout the, the entire uh, student body, it yes. seemed like, right? And him scoring that touchdown and giving the the, the, the phone signal he with did. the hand. Yeah, that was my senior year. That was one of the most epic games that I – probably the well, most was, epic I was ever a part That was the one that of. you were most famous for, right? I mean, yeah. would you have like four – Fourth down conversions, or third we had down five conversions? as a team. If you're keeping how many were yours though? I knew how. Uh, many. I, I think I had three. I only had three of them. Okay, I'm sorry. Yeah. I'm trying to give you a little extra. You do that. I for appreciate me all the time. that. We'll do the yeah, same. Hey, but in hey, my look, mind, we, it was you carrying the football every short yardage goal line that. conversion opportunity. Hey, on one of the fourth downs, I was a lead block on a fake field goal. Do I get half a credit? Uh, for sure, I would expect nothing less. <laughs> okay, I get half credit for it. But the one thing I'll say about this in this year's matchup. Both teams absolutely need it for different reasons, maybe, but both teams need it. Like, remember, th these teams are only separated by one game, six and three and five and four, but it does feel different. And for LSU, if they want any hopes of winning 10 games with a bowl win, they got to go win this one. You have no more room for error. And it would be highly disappointing for this team to end up with eight wins, even nine wins. This team has special offensive talent that's going to go in the record books. And if you win eight games, how does that feel as a program? Right. So it has different meaning maybe for, for these teams this year, but both of these teams absolutely need it for different reasons. Yes, I've said that, but they both absolutely must win situation. It, it feels you know, very desperate for Florida right now. And, and I'll say this, though, just <laughs> this has been such a weird year from the Florida perspective because you had high hopes going into Utah and you, you you not only lose, but yeah. the execution in the ball game or lack thereof makes you feel like, wow, it's going to be a long year. Yeah. You, you find a way to to beat Tennessee. You, you lose to, to Kentucky badly in an embarrassing loss. You have the great comeback against South Carolina. Like the emotions and, and have run the full gamut here as a Florida Gator fan. A very disappointing effort this past week at home against Arkansas. So it, I'm just curious where these – yeah. Where are these guys, the young young team, where's their mind at? Can they find a way to to uh, to rally, to refocus, to to have the energy you need to go into Tiger Stadium and compete? The good, the one thing I take from the the Florida perspective is you mentioned it earlier that fall game, the the shoe toss. LSU was a twenty one and a half point underdog, I think, in that ball yeah. game and found a way to win outright. So 
Florida's only a couple yeah. touchdown underdog here. And uh, we, as you said, weird things happen. So I'm, I'm oh, not I wouldn't up touch hope. that number, CD. Yeah. I wouldn't touch 14 points in a game like this, just like I wouldn't touch 21 and a half back. Yeah. No way. Not with this series, not with these two teams, not what this game means. I mean, Joey Galloway, remember that 21 half point you know, yeah. game? And before the game, they're talking about, oh, what if LSU wins? And Joey Galloway starts laughing. Like, and I don't even think he meant to. Like, he started laughing, like, LSU ain't winning this game. That's from somebody that doesn't know this series. Mm -hmm. If you know this series and you know what it is, all hell always breaks loose. I have no idea what it's going to be, but it ain't going to be a 14 point game. I would be yeah. highly shocked if it's a 14 point game in, in either direction, obviously. I'll say this, though what number I would touch and mark me down for my best bet, number two, Big Turp, over 63 and a half. I'm yes. hearing rumblings that Jaden Daniels is going to play. You know they're going to get their points, and with their defense being as susceptible as it is on that side, yeah. Florida's going to score some Well, The scoring has not necessarily been the Gators' problem. Right. So I, give me the over. Pound the over is my second best bet here, Big Turp. What is that number? Do we know 63 that number? 63 and a half. 63 and a half? Oh, my gosh. Yeah. I'm thinking 41-35, 41-38 territory for this game. I could see something game. like that, too. Yeah. <laughs> it could very easily live. I mean, what, yes. seriously, Hess, let's talk about this real quick. Like, as I'm watching the LSU game against Alabama last Saturday night, you're not stopping LSU's offense, right? You're not stopping right. with the way Jane Daniels is playing. You're not going to stop them. You maybe hope you get a red zone stop to force a field goal, but you're not. Yeah. The only way you're getting a, a real stop is like a, a Mason tip ball. Taylor drop. Or yeah, a tip yeah. ball that you get an interception on. Those are things that are outside of Jaden Daniels' control. But right. I look at the way that he's running the ball and oh, all right, you want to you want to blitz our empty? We're going to throw slant. You want to you want to play uh, man coverage? We're going to throw the slot fade. I'm going to drop it perfectly into Malik yeah. Neighbors down the oh sideline against good coverage. Throw. Like yeah. this dude can do it all. So they're going to get theirs, but I also think they're going to give some up too. Like you're yep. not going to keep you're not going to keep LSU under 40 points. Yep. And uh, I think but, this but is But Ricky game. Pearsall against those corners right now, like he's going to have the advantage. Trey Wilson too. Trey Wilson yeah. has been tremendous as a freshman. He needs to get more touches. Trevor Etienne needs to get more touches. But I do think Just they make have sure that players. if he's on the field, the other number three is not on the field though. Uh, yeah, that, 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 that needs to be, hopefully somebody has that under control by now, but <laughs> Sorry, yeah, you so know, I, couldn't, that, I couldn't resist. I, I don't blame you. I would do it too. All right, man. It, it's a game we look forward to every single year. Uh, I'm going to be on SEC this morning, tomorrow. I'm sure talking trash. I'm sure, you know, given the stats that CD doesn't want to hear. So we'll have that for you. Um, it's going to be a lot of fun. It always is. Hopefully you won't have to dress up like a giant turkey, but I hopefully you will. Not, uh, <laughs> the, you know, the, the problem is the bar has been set so high with the baseball yeah. uniform and the public yeah. humiliation. Like I wish uh, Alyssa actually came up with a good idea on the show. You know, since Peter Burns is going to be in in Baton Rouge on on Saturday for the game, if by some reason Florida were able to pull off the victory, we were thinking it'd be fun for him to go out in front of Brian Kelly's house and Gator Chomper and Howard on Instagram Live. That would have been tremendous, right? Oh, that would have been fantastic. Yeah, he's in town. I forgot about that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm surprised he hadn't tried to organize a little uh, night out with the the Hester clan. Uh, well, that's how I remembered he's in town. We've already uh, we're starting the process of getting getting that going. That would have been that. Ooh, that would have been a good one. Yeah, yeah. that's yeah. something. Okay, there needs but to be some public humiliation involved. There does because you had did. some. You yeah. had some as well. Like even like if you would have like sent one of your old jerseys and he would have had to walk around LSU's campus or just something. Yeah. Something. I don't know. Hey, there's always next year. That's right. Let's keep that in mind.
Yeah, and there's always next week for pre-gaming the SEC, and we will see you then. It will be week 12 of pre-gaming the SEC, and we are getting, well, we're getting the idea of what we're going to have in championship situations there in Atlanta. We'll see if anybody's able to pull off a major upset, any chaotic energy. Do, do one of the, you know, does Kentucky, Alabama, Ole Miss, Georgia, does anything crazy happen, CD, before we sign off? I mean, you've already it said that something crazy is happening. In the I'm calling for one. Give me one. Which one? one? Is there one? Or are you just saying that there's going to be one? I'm just saying there's going to be one. So there's going to be one. Identifying which one it is. No, there's going to be a double digit favorite that loses. I'll co-sign that. I, I okay. Think, all right. Here, here they are. The, the double digit favorites, Alabama, Georgia, mm-hmm. LSU, mm-hmm. A&M, A&M. Yep. One of those teams loses. I'll take that. I, I think that's a good good pick, and I think I think there's a national upset as well too. So we're starting. Yep. The the college football playoff committee uh, has put out their rankings twice now. They've been primarily exactly the same. Week three yeah. will be shaken up a little bit. I think. I agree with you there wholeheartedly. All right, it's going to do it for us. We appreciate you tuning in. Remember, you can follow us at pregaming the SEC. That is the handle on Instagram and Twitter. Give us a follow there. Always hit us up with that like and subscribe on YouTube. We appreciate you tuning in as well on SiriusXM SEC Radio Channel 374. We will see you next week for week 12 of pregaming the SEC.